this, this evening we're going to be continuing a series of talks that we've been doing as a church um, called Being Church, and this one is all about being a city influencing church. Um, this was going to be a bit of a tag team effort today between myself and Rich Bolton, who works here. Um, so I was going to start by talking a little bit about why it's worth being a in city influencing church. Rich was then going to come and talk about some of the ways that we're doing that through structured projects and endeavors. And then I was going to come back and look at it from a more personal level. But unfortunately, Rich is not very well. So he's not here. So we're sort of like slightly winging the middle bit. So during that, if it's sort of like, if it's good, if it really connects with you, all credit to Rich for his great notes. And if it's not so good, that's my fault for the presentation. Apologies about that. Um, but hopefully it will be all right. Hopefully we'll have a good time. Um, during the course of the night, I'm going to talk quite a bit about Nottingham, because obviously that's where we're based, and use the word city. Um, but of course, this church has always, the intention has always been that this would be a regional church. And so, you know, whether you live in Nottingham or Derby or Ilkeston or a town or a city or a village, wherever, um, wherever you're based, please, please feel involved in this. In fact, you know, even if you're visiting from elsewhere in the country tonight, I really hope that God uses this um, to speak to you about how you can be an influencer where you are. I don't know how you feel about, about Nottingham. For me, I'm going to be honest and admit, my relationship with Nottingham has been a bit of a slow burner, if I'm honest. Um, I came here as a student in, in 1998, um, and I, I, it was, I liked it okay, but I was quite happy to move afterwards. I went to Bristol for a few years, um, but about five or six years later, I was attracted back to Nottingham. Um, and admittedly, not by the um, beauty and wonders of this city, but by the beauty and wonders of a woman, my wife, um, Abby. And if I'm honest, at the time, I was a little bit sad to leave Bristol, which is really awesome, this city with loads of heritage and charm um, from, like, you know, the, the amazing Isambard Kingdom, Brunel, Clifton Suspension Bridge, and all that sort of infrastructure to the culture and the street bar art of, of Banksy and all that cool stuff that Bristol's got going on, it, going on for it to this place um, that, if you know the history of Nottingham, was originally named Snottingham um, after the Snot family. But... Over the years, I've learned to love Nottingham um, in the way that we all do. Um, and I've got a few reasons, if you're not fully on board with this yet, why Nottingham is actually awesome. So, to start, we have the oldest professional football club in the world. Um, and just to be sort of like even-handed about it, lots of other good sports teams as well. We have loads of amazing heroes from Nottingham, like, like the xylophone man, if you remember him. Um, he was a total legend. Um, Torville and Dean, I think, are next. Is that right? Of course. Um, Olympic champions. Uh, Brian Clough, of course, Cluffy. Um, and perhaps the most famous of all, Robin Hood, um, our, our most famous hero. This is a very innovative city. Um, you may not know that HP sauce was invented here, so the world can be thankful to Nottingham for that. And also, um, if, you're, um, if you're a parent, you'll be, you'll be very proud of the fact that this stuff was invented in Nottingham as well. Ibuprofane, um, I, I, use, I get through quite a bit of that with our kids, um, according to the label, though, obviously. <laughs> but perhaps the most amazing thing about, about Nottingham, and my favourite thing, is that where else in the world could you call a perfect stranger um, a duck and not, not offend them in some way? That's the amazing city that we are part of. Um, and a city um, in which this church, Trent Vineyard, has, has grown over the last 19 and a half years 
to become as much a part of this city as any of those things. We've become an influence in our city and beyond as well. Just to sort of like get a feel for this, and it, for a bit of a laugh really, the other day, a few of us went into town, into the market square, and we asked 30 random locals um, if they had ever heard of Trent Vineyard, and if so, sort of what they knew about it. And it was interesting, about a quarter of them uh, knew of the church or had heard of us, um, and about 10% um, had something positive that they could say about us, and, and nobody had anything negative to say. Um, and I realize I'm probably playing it a bit fast and loose with the statistical analysis here, but if those 30 people are representative of the greater population of Nottingham, we can assume that that's something like 200,000 people have heard of this church, and 75,000 of them think positive things of us, and zero people think anything bad about this church. <laughs> but um, the flip side, of course, is that if that's roughly the case, then that leaves about half a million people in Greater Nottingham who've yet to hear of us. And the truth is, if we're to, to influence this city and impact the lives of some of those folks, it can't all happen in here, in this church building, can it? In fact, most of it, the vast majority of it, has got to happen out there in our city. As, um, as John, if you were here last week, um, he explained, God, God, he wants us to care enough to reach out to our city. So how do you feel about Nottingham? It may be that, I'm guessing for some of you, um, you know, you, you've really settled in, you love Nottingham, you've settled here, and you very much feel like this is your home, but perhaps for others of you here tonight, um, you might feel like this is just the place more where you happen to live right now, perhaps if you're a student, or if you've moved here for work for a short while, or perhaps, you know, back home is always the place that you feel is back home. Um, I thought it'd be interesting, actually, just to get a feel for that, just with a show of hands here. Who here, who here would say, Nottingham is my home? Who here feels that way? Cool, so quite, quite a lot. And then who here would say it's more like the place where I live right now or where I am right now? Okay, so fair few people as well. That's sort of like the potentially awkward moment where you and your spouse realize you've got to have a conversation, <laughs> you know. Well, what I want to suggest is that in a way, both of those answers are not quite right. Um, you're both wrong. Because for those of you, for example, that would call this your home, um, it's not. Your real home is the place where you're going to spend eternity. The home that you were designed to be in and dwell in and invited to be part of is to be with your Father in heaven. You know, right at the end of the Bible, um, there's this book called Revelation. And it describes a vision that God gave to one of Jesus' followers called John. Um, and, and, and it describes all how this world and this age is going to be brought to um, a conclusion. And all of Jesus' followers um, will be called to this home, called home forever. And right at the climax of this vision, I just wanted to read you a little section from it, from chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
Now, when we try and imagine heaven, um, it's, an, it's kind of an impossible thing to do fully because heaven is eternal and it's mind-blowing and we can't get our head around it. But the picture that the Bible uses to help us get a glimpse is, is picture, the picture of a perfect city where God's desire to dwell with his people, a desire and a longing that, has been, that he has expressed all the way through the Bible is finally and fully fulfilled. That is where we belong. That is our home. It says um, elsewhere in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And it's talking about heaven. So where does that leave the city where we live right now, Nottingham? Is this just a place to sort of kill time until Jesus comes back? Is it like some sort of like spiritual airport departure lounge? Well, no, um, it's not, because, because we've got a job to do here in the meantime. You see, if God wanted to, he could return right now. If Jesus wanted to do that, that moment that I just described in Revelation 21 could happen this evening. But elsewhere in the Bible, in, in 2 Peter, one of the letters, it gives us a bit of an insight into why that hasn't happened thus far. It says, The Lord is not slow, slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think what we can take from that is this, this, this idea that God, he, he, he loves every person, all of his children, all of the people who live in Nottingham, and he wants all of them to have time to turn towards him. And the church is the vehicle that he's using to draw those people towards him. You know, if you read the, the New Testament, it's really clear that, that, that God, he, he longs for that, for that day. He longs to bring and fulfill his kingdom. But he also cares passionately about the cities in which we live and the people that live in them. And of course, many of the books in the New Testament are written to, 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 to people who were living in cities, um, in places like Galatia, Ephesus, Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, encouraging the churches in those cities to, to, to not just like sit and wait for Jesus to come back, but to take ownership of our communities and be influencers. I believe that he wants the church to be not just an influence in the city, but the primary influence in this city. And I guess in simple terms, he wants Nottingham to be more and more like heaven. And he wants to use us, the church, to make it happen. And so because of all of that, I, I really feel that our hope for Nottingham shouldn't be that it should just be a bit nicer. You know, like, I guess most of us have had that kind of conversation where we're like, oh, Nottingham would be really nice when they finally do the Broadmarsh up. Or like when, you know, Stapleford would be so much nicer if we got a Starbucks or, well, perhaps a Costa that, you know, you've got to make it realistic. Or, or oh, it's so much nicer in Woolerton since uh, Waitrose moved there. We've all had those kind of conversations, but... That shouldn't be our hope for our city, that it would just get a bit nicer. Our hopes for heaven should be unreachably high, but unshakably strong, a hope of heaven. That's what we should be just longing for. And that's why Jesus, when he, when he taught us how to pray, he, he taught us to ask for that. He said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Nottingham as it is in heaven. So, on one hand, this city isn't our permanent home. 
but nor is it just some place where we happen to live right now. So whether you're here for one year or 50 years, I believe he wants all of us to play our role in making this place more like our heavenly home. Um, a picture that sort of, that helped me sort of get my head around this, I don't know if it will help you, but it reminds me of last summer, um, Abby and the kids, we went, as a family, we went camping. And we'd not, we'd not done this before, so we were a bit novices, but we, we, we felt fairly prepared. We got the tents, we had the air beds, the little stove thing that you get, and we were sort of like, yeah, we're pretty much professionals. Until we got to the campsite and saw the real professionals. And I don't know if you ever had this sort of like experience of tent envy, where you're like, wow, look at the, look at the fabric on that tent. And, you know, these people have got like fridges in their tents, no exaggeration. They've got the massive barbecues with like the four um, hobs and the wok burner in the middle, recliner chairs, tellies, TV aerial on, on, on the tent. And I was thinking, don't they realize this is not what camping is about? Camping is not about enjoying yourself and feeling comfortable. <laughs> it's, about, it's about sharing the misery of the British summer. But I think, in a way, those people are a picture of how God wants us to live in this city, in that same mindset that, yes, this is temporary, but while we're here, why don't we make it look and feel like our real home? To make Nottingham feel more like heaven, like the kingdom of God. Like, as John and Debbie kind of have put it, put it for us really concise, concisely when they spoke to the Vineyard Movement earlier this year, God's called us to extend God's kingdom together, everywhere, in every way. And so, as a church, we're passionate about that. Um, some, of, some of the ways that we try and do that is through um, some sort of like some structured projects and, and partnerships with different charities where we can sort of, you know, really, really um, work together to try and have an influence. Um, Rich was going to share a few different stories about some of the stuff that's going, going on there at the moment. And so I'm, I'm going to try and make a fist of sharing some of his stories. Now, over, the, over the, the sort of journey of this church, we've really grown to have an influence in our city. But, but it's worth noting that, that any influence or any voice that we have in this city has been built um, on this reputation and history of serving our city. So, for example, the Arches next door is, you know, it's a big ministry now. There's so many folks getting involved and so much stuff going on. But, it, but it's because it's been going for 15 years and there's a real heritage of um, 15 years of tirelessly serving this city. But just the other day, Rich was speaking to one of the visitors that came through the door who'd come for the first time to get some help. Um, and this is a typical story. He'd been struggling to find work, and as a result, um, his family um, were having trouble making ends meet. And so he came away from that visit with a, a whole bunch of, of, of things that his family really needed, practical support. But the thing that he couldn't get over and the thing that he just kept on talking about was the way that he'd been treated. He kept saying he'd never been treated so well, so consistently, anywhere in all of his life. And of course, that's the kind of influence that we want to have on the citizens of Nottingham. Another one of the charities, charities that we partner with is, is Nottingham Street Pastors, um, a team of, of volunteers who go into town on a Friday or Saturday night and just seeking to bring the kingdom into the sort of craziness of Nottingham's nightlife, um, which I'm not terribly familiar with at this stage of my life, but I gather it's pretty crazy. Um, now, 
if you've, got, if you've never seen what the street pastors do and you've got perhaps this image in your mind of you know, people out there on the streets perhaps handing out um, leaflets about Jesus or something like that, that is not what it's like at all. These guys are like professionals. Um, they're there to help people who, who've lost their friends, who've perhaps had a bit too much to drink, um, pick them up, help them along. Perhaps people who've been in a fight, they're clearing up people's sick um, they're making, people, making sure people get home safe. They're making sure they get some, some fluids on board. And they're, more importantly, they're there every week, serving the people of Nottingham and keeping them safe. And it's had enormous impact on the crime rates um, on those nights in town. Trent Debt Advice, another um, project, has been open for about five years now. An amazing team of people who, who provide um, free debt counselling to as many people as they can cater for and have capacity for. And um, apparently the other day, um, they'd been working with this couple of clients for five, so, since 2012. Um, they came in with a debt of £92,000. And over four years, the team negotiated with their creditors to get 60,000 pounds of that rightfully written off, and then they helped them sort out finances so that they could pay back the rest. Apparently, the lady rang the, the office the other day, um, as after all this time, they were at last debt-free, and she was in tears. Um, at the, at the prospect of finally being rid of that burden that she had been carrying. You know, Jesus, he sent us, um, to, to bring liberty to people, to set people free. And what an amazing personal testimony of the, the impact that had on that couple's life. We're really keen as a church to work alongside others, um, to work in partnerships, um, because team, teamwork makes the dream work, after all. Um, but also, it, it's kind of, it allows us to have an impact um, that we couldn't have if we tried to do it on our own. And an amazing example of that is this organization called Nottingham Citizens. Um, Trent is one of the founding members of Nottingham Citizens, um, an alliance of over 40 organizations from all areas of civil society. So there's like schools, churches, other faith groups, universities, trade unions, things like that. And um, those organizations work together through Nottingham Citizens to try and make Nottingham a better, better place to live in. And one of the great things about it is that um, instead of, well, when there's an issue that, that needs addressing, instead of just sort of lobbying and, and, and taking that issue to the local government and saying, oh, this is a problem that you need to fix, what Nottingham Citizens tries to do is say, here's an issue that we are experiencing, um, how can we help? Or here's some suggestions of how we can help and work with you to try and fix it. And that is an incredibly fruitful way to approach these kind of problems. So, for example, one of the partner charities that we work with that's also part of Citizens is Nottingham Nightstop, um, which really exists to try and um, reduce um, homelessness among young people in this city and make sure that young people who are at risk of homelessness don't then go into proper homelessness. Or oh, proper is the wrong word there, sorry. But um, Nottingham, they had been aware of this issue for a number of years where um, people who were in that age, sort of 16, 17 years old, weren't getting um, the, the, the support and the um, protection that they were actually sort of entitled to. There was a bit of a problem with the system, and they could see that this problem was existing, but they, they weren't really in a position to do it, to, to sort of bring about a change. But they brought that to Nottingham Citizens, and then together, um, some real proper changes were made. And that all sounds kind of like quite 
quite you know, technical and, and maybe a bit sort of abstract and bland until you think about this case of this guy who was 17 years old um, who was recently supported by Nottingham Nightstop. He'd been kicked out of home but because of the new system that had been put in place, he was able to get the support that he needed to go back home. And, um, and that meant that that young person didn't have to start sleeping rough. Um, and who knows what impact that is gonna have on the next 10, 20 years of his life. Just a few um, weeks ago, we were able to host um, uh, the Nottingham Citizens Assembly here. There was about 800 people in this room um, from all different walks of life, influential movers and shakers, people in this city. Um, and it was a, an immense privilege for us as a church to be able to host that. Um, it's incredible the role that we're playing and we should be really grateful and thankful for that. But of course, we're not in this to, to sit in committees and, and host meetings. We're in it to see lives changed and our city transformed. And hopefully the thing that comes across as I share some of these stories is it's when we work in teams and partnerships, sometimes we can, can bring about change that otherwise would be impossible. There's like this sort of synergetic effect of working through organizations like citizens and street pastors that make our combined efforts more than the sum of our parts. Now, I'm sure that all this stuff would have been so much more inspiring um, had, 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 had Rich been here to um, talk about it and you could have heard it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But if something in that has, has stirred something in you and, you and you feel like you'd like to get involved in, in one of those projects, um, then we would love to hear from you and help you get involved. If you go to the Connect area um, after the service, fill out a serving form if you want to get involved in like street pastors or not in a night stop or, sit or whatever, and somebody will give you a call this week to help you get plugged in. So for the last few moments um, tonight, we're going to now spend a bit of time just bringing this more to a personal level and considering, you know, for each of us, how can I personally have an impact on, on my city? And I want to start by showing you a couple of interesting maps. Okay, so here's the first one. That map there shows um, where we currently have church buildings. Um, so that blue sort of square in the middle of it, that's where we are. Um, so we just got the one dot on that map. Now this second map shows where we have, let's call it church outlets. In other words, this is where the church members live. Hopefully you can see your little red dot on there. And you don't have to be an expert strategist to see which map is more exciting when we're talking about the idea of influencing our city. Because of course that one, that's the real map of the church. Whenever the Bible talks about church, um, it, it doesn't talk about buildings and structures or, or programs. In fact, um, when you read the word by, um, church in the Bible, it's translated from a Greek word, ecclesia, and which basically means um, a, pe a people who are called together or assembled with a purpose. And that's very much the way Jesus talked about the church. It was all about the people and their purpose. He was so focused on making sure that his followers understood what their purpose was. And so, for example, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, um, he, he really sort of drove this home. Verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt 
has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I think one of the points that he's trying to make is, you know, like that sort of idea of like, you've got one job to do, so just do it. It's like salt. If salt's not salty, then it's basically this pointless white powder, isn't it? It's, it's, it's got to be salty, and it's very good at being salty. But if it loses sight of that sort of purpose that it has, then it basically becomes useless white powder. So salt, stay salty. And he's kind of saying, that's the same with you guys. You need to understand and stick to this purpose that you have. You need to add flavor, um, add a, a preservative quality like salt to your surroundings. And of course, salt, it best fulfills its purpose when it's scattered, when it's sprinkled. Like when we eat salt in our diet, we don't have totally bland food with no salt in it and then eat a teaspoon of salt at the end of the day. That would be a horrible experience. And guess what? It's the same with the church. Don't get me wrong. God loves this. He loves us all gathered together like this in this place to worship him. But the, the point where we really come into our own is when we then are sent and scattered out with this purpose in mind. We just, we just got back, um, a bunch of us from here, from a, a vineyard in Northern Ireland called the Causeway Coast Vineyard. Um, it's an incredible church. And they have this, um, just such a, such a powerful city emphasis as a church. And, and one of the things that I love about them is they've also got some really new and fresh language that they use to describe all this stuff about loving your city. Um, and so, for example, they, they use this phrase, scattered servants, to describe the type of people that they long to be as a church. And I thought that was, that was just such a great way of, of capturing it. But, but also, it struck me, and you know, wouldn't want us to sort of like blow our own trumpet here, but I really feel that's a good description of, of you guys, of us as a church. I think today you are surrounded by people here who very much fit that description. People who, who are in all walks of life, in business and in, in retail, entrepreneurs, people who work in education, tradesmen, students, parents, carers, people who are working in local government, people who are volunteering, people who are, who are simply present in their communities and as neighbors and friends. And, and we, you, are the means through which Trent Vineyard influences this city. You know, when you think about influencers in the church, we often tend to think about the person on the platform, like, like kind of like what I'm doing now. Um, but, but that's just one role. So say, for example, in, 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 our, in my family, my wife, Abby, she's the real influencer um, in our family because she is a school teacher. And just, you know, if you just look at it purely on practical terms, um, the other day, I was just for fun working out, if I sort of multiply roughly this kind of audience by the amount of time that I spend doing this over a course of a year, and then I compare that to the amount of time that a teacher um, spends teaching and the size of that audience over a year, it depends how you work it out different ways, but it's roughly, um, a teacher has five to six times more influence than, than I have um, doing this. And also at an age when they're, you know, they're, they're speaking to people whose brains are sort of malleable and they're open to hearing new things, not like you guys. <laughs> and so it's an incredible amount of um, influence there. And how many teachers have we got in this room right now? Just pop your hands up. Just look at all the influence. All those, or how many people work in education? So many people. So 
Whatever you do for the 166 and a half hours each week that you're not sat here, you have a zone of influence around you. You know, you might not be in a position or a stage in your life where you've got an immense amount of influence and the ability to sort of influence a whole city, but you are the best placed person in the world to influence the square meter that you're stood in. And so whatever you do, whether you're a taxi driver or a, or a hairdresser or a, a volunteer or a partner in a law firm, if you work in sales, whatever you do, you have the potential to influence people. I felt this, this morning um, when we were worshipping, I felt as though God sort of um, gave us a word as well um, to sort of to add to this. Um, I felt like he said, there are no second-class citizens in my kingdom. And I felt as though perhaps, you know, some of you, you might feel a little bit like that. You might be, uh, you know, your circumstances might mean that you, you feel like you haven't got the ability to influence people around you. Perhaps you, you've got some health issues or a disability or perhaps there's some complication in your life. Perhaps you've just come out of rehab or you've just come out of prison or something like that and you, and you think, oh, surely, I, you know, um, you, for whatever reason, you feel unqualified. Well, there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. I think God wants all of us to be influencers. He wants us to be like um, thermostats, not thermometers. So, you know, the difference between those two. Like, if we were to go out of those doors at the end of tonight and just go and live lives, just blending in with our city, blending in with the culture around us, just being like everybody else around us, then we're basically just like a thermometer, just a reflection of the environment that we live in. But God wants us to be more like a thermostat it's something that actually drives the environment around it, us. With, with, with you know, the dial turned to a setting that reads kingdom of God. And I wonder, what would that look like for you? One um, example of it working in one context, um, a, a chap who's part of his church called Dave works in a bank, and he was um, telling us how his colleagues, over a period of time, they just... They just got intrigued by the way he talked about his faith. And he, he said, I was, I was asked regular questions throughout the week about the differences between different denominations and what my church was like. And on one Thursday, I was fired, they fired questions at me for about 15 minutes at the end of the day. And I answered as best and as honestly as I could. Um, this culminated in the manager saying, maybe we should just give you a session at the start of each day in the morning meeting to explain as much as possible to us all. Well, that's great. And since then, apparently, he's had like, loads of opportunities to, to, to talk with different people on the staff team and pray, pray with different people. Another example of what it might look like in a different context, um, I'd love to read you a little bit of what, uh, one lady who's a doctor um, who's part of this church. She wrote about her experiences of trying to bring a kingdom influence into the workplace. She said, I often wish I could share Jesus with my patients and offer to pray with them. But because of the regulations that I work under, I'm not allowed to. It's really challenging when we're not allowed to do this, especially since I've seen God supernaturally heal patients in the medical clinics I worked in in Mozambique. So I'm constantly asking God how he wants to use me at work, to show me how he sees my patients and colleagues, and to give me his heart to love them and trust that simply by carrying his presence, his light, and his love, I'm bringing a bit more of his kingdom into my workplace. And she, she recalls one situation. We were really understaffed. 
Everyone was overstretched and exhausted. You could feel the heaviness and the tension in the air. I would pray and worship in my heart or sometimes out loud as I walked along the corridors and wards. Finally, in a week where every junior doctor had ended up in tears at some point, a Christian colleague of mine and I decided that we had to do something. We both asked God separately and uh, what we could do, and he told us the same thing. It's amazing. We made cards and a gift box for every doctor on our team, writing words of truth about the good that we and God saw in them and left them anonymously in the staff room. By the end of the week, the atmosphere had tangibly changed to one of a lightness and a fresh positive outlook on the job. A doctor in Mozambique once said to me, it's our job to be loved by God and love others, listening to how God wants us to demonstrate that love. So whether it looks like praying for healing, providing medicines to heal, or simply listening to them and acknowledging their pain, that's up to God. Our role is to love the person in front of us. Isn't it inspiring and encouraging, and I think comforting to know that there are thermostats like like that lady in, in our hospitals, in our city. So I wanna ask, what could that look like for you in your context? It might be something really, really tiny. The other day, um, I, I went for a jog um, along the canal towpath from San Diego to Long Eaton, um, and this strange thing caught my eye. Um, there was a, a red circle that had been sprayed on the ground and right in the middle of that circle, excuse me for this, was a dog poo. And um, the first thing that I thought about that was, wow, what a gifted dog. He's, he's, he's absolutely, I was like, he should go on Britain's Got Talent. But as I jogged on, I sort of realized what had happened because every single one of those had this circle sprayed around it all the way. And um, I'm sort of like a slightly passive-aggressive person myself, so I was in awe of whoever had done this. I was like, you're a legend. Like, that's the, the, the level of commitment to doing that. Um, but at the same time, I sort of felt a bit like God was trying to get my attention with this and highlight, you know, this city has got enough folks who are there and willing to highlight the mess. What it needs is some more people who are willing to get involved in clearing it up. And I thought, that really struck me. In fact, I was quite, I thought, oh, that would work really well in a sermon until I realized it probably wouldn't have any sort of real impact or conviction if I didn't then go out and clear it up myself. Um, so that's what, the, last week, my mate James, my neighbor, and I, we went out, went down the towpath, and um, we, we cleared up all the poo that we could find. There's James. Um, apparently, it's a 70-pound fine now, so I reckon we cleared up about 4,000 pounds worth of dog poo on the way. Now, the good news is that when we get to heaven, there will be no dog poo. Um, it says in Revelation 21, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what's detestable or false. But for now, in the meantime, the reality is we live in an imperfect city where there will always be flaws. And so if we're aiming for heaven, we're, we're gonna have to not just point at the mess, but actually get involved and help clear it up. And so I wanna ask you, is there something in your context, in your street, in your community, in your workplace, where everybody is pointing at it saying, oh, that's a mess? And if so, what can you do to improve things? 
and bring the kingdom of God into that situation. It might be um, you know, the state of your local park where the kids haven't got anywhere to play. Or it might be the fact there aren't any decent kids clubs in your area. Maybe it's simply the kitchenette in your office or in your shared accommodation. Perhaps it's a bunch of teenagers who, who, who hang out on a street corner near you. Or the fact that just simply nobody on your, speak, on your street tends to speak to each other anymore. What could you do to change that? Um, here, here's a big one. I feel like perhaps there's somebody here either this morning or this evening where every time you go drive through um, a particular area of town, it really frustrates you how run down it is and, and what a sort of a sad place it is. And I felt as though maybe God is, is prompting you to consider moving there and starting to be a change yourself simply by being present and bringing salt and light into that. It might be that you have um, an entrepreneurial vision for a business or an enterprise that might have a positive impact on, on the community around you. You know, and as you as, 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 as sort of share those examples, you, you're, you might have a thing that immediately springs to your mind, but you might think, yeah, but I'm not sure whether I could really, I'm not a very influential person. I don't know whether I could really bring about a change. I don't have within me what it takes. And the truth is, you don't, because none of us do. But as followers of Jesus, we carry in us the presence of somebody who does, the Holy Spirit. That's who we carry in us, and, and he is the influencer. So before we finish, I just want to look at that map um, one more time. See, one way of, of looking at that map, I don't know whether you can see your little red dot on there. One way of looking at it is simply as a bunch of places where folks who come here on a Sunday happen to live. But I don't think that's what that map shows. I think that map shows us a couple of thousand grains of salt making this city taste better. A couple of thousand thermostats with the setting reading Kingdom of God, wielding the influence of the Holy Spirit. A couple of thousand hearts longing for our heavenly home and desperate to see this city become the closest thing to it.